0: All right, here we go. Hour three. It is a great day for Talk Radio, and there's a lot to address. Some of the stuff we've talked about already, uh, the trade deal that continues to be unpacked or deconstructed, and I thought we might uh, use that as an opening salvo. A little later in the hour, Rocco Rossi's going to join us, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce on this Bill 148 that Doug Ford has promised to scrap. It's the one that talks about fairness for workers and so on and so forth, but uh, seems to have left out when the when liberals passed it earlier in the year, uh, while they were still a viable force in the province, uh, it seemed to disregard that there were entrepreneurs and business people who felt this was an impediment to their competi- uh, their uh, being competitive. So uh, we'll get that uh, all said and done before the top of the hour, but uh, joining us as they do most Wednesdays, our friends on the roundtable, Ernie Eves, a former premier and finance minister in the province of Ontario. Good afternoon to you, Ernie.
1: Good afternoon, John.
0: John Turley-Ewart, risk management consultant specializing in capital markets, extensive experience on Bay and Wall Streets. How's John?
2: Very good, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for coming in. And Peggy Nash, visiting professor at Ryerson University in the Faculty of Arts and Community Services and a former Canadian labor official and former NDP MP for Parkdale. Peggy, it's good to have you in here. Great Uh, to be here. We appreciate everybody being here, especially when, uh, you know, I'm not entirely clear on... uh, this U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal, uh, USMCA, in some regards, uh, you got to help me out here, and I'll just throw it around the horn. Where are the pitfalls, first of all, in this thing? John, let me start with you. I mean, there's uh, this idea that the extended patent protection on drugs are going to make drug plans costlier. Is that one area that you would flag?
2: Um, I would flag that, but I would be more likely to flag the, the tariffs that are still on uh, steel and aluminum. Why? How come that didn't get resolved? I mean, that's one big issue that I think, uh, it, you know, hangs out there and people need to talk more about. Uh, you know, certainly we protected the auto industry. They did the best job they could in, in the context of uh, the dairy situation because we had subsidized them so heavily through supply management. But why did we not get any movement on, on tariffs around uh, steel and aluminum?
0: Ernie, any idea why we didn't get that? I mean, who brought the ball here?
1: We didn't get lots of things. Uh, John and I were talking earlier off air. I mean, name me one single new big thing that we got. The answer is zero. All we did was cut our losses. I mean, different than what we had under the previous NAFTA, I mean. So I I get the problem. You're dealing with uh, a president south of the border who's very mercurial, to say the least. And you're trying to get salvage what you can salvage, I guess. And politically, you have to do something, I suppose. I guess this deal is better than no deal. But seriously, we didn't really get anything. We managed to salvage about three or four points that we already had under the previous NAFTA agreement. And the rest were all losses. So, you know, if you're going in a baseball season, you win four games and you lose uh, 158, that's not a very good season.
0: Wow, you're saying it's that <laughs> dramatic. Jeez. Uh, yesterday on this program, your pal Peggy, uh, Jerry Diaz with Unifor, was clicking his heels, said it saved the auto industry in the province, in the country.
3: Well, uh, certainly there were no tariffs imposed on auto obviously steel and aluminum tariffs will affect the auto industry
0: yeah but the jobs uh, you know when 2.6 million units can be shipped stateside and we're only producing 1.8 there's a real buffer there he says we'll never meet that entire quota so the hard cap doesn't mean anything mm -hmm. he said it's guaranteed jobs
3: uh well we've never seen guaranteed jobs in canada but i think immediate Yeah. I mean, is it good that we don't have tariffs on the auto industry? That's a very good thing. I think I said on this program a few weeks ago that for President Trump to impose tariffs on the auto industry would boomerang back on the American auto industry as well, because it is so integrated continentally. But I I think what this agreement does show us, and, you know, John raised the issue of the steel and aluminum tariffs that are still on, is that if anybody thinks we have guaranteed, secure, Access to the U.S. We have it as long as the president doesn't decide to impose new tariffs, and and I think it is that that sense that you know America is going to defend its economic interests. That's what Trump has communicated on a
0: security basis, no less.
3: Yeah, and yeah, and and I think that the fact that if he can do that on steel and aluminum. What else can he do it on? And so, right, so I think that's an ongoing concern. But, you know, people seem to be saying, people closer to it than I am seem to be saying, those tariffs are going to come off. I certainly hope so. It's hurting a lot. Of well, he's, he's got a Canada. midterm
0: election upcoming. You've got these people in the border states. I mean, yeah. they know where their bread is buttered. Consumer prices, they don't want to see them go up on things, products that are made with uh, steel and aluminum from Canada. So, John, it stands to reason those are going to be coming off or down, aren't they? But,
2: well, the question is why has it happened already? But, so that, that would have been the natural expectation. You know, you sign the deal, the tariffs come off. Uh, you know, we heard that Ford is losing a lot of money because of these tariffs. Uh, undoubtedly, General Motors and Chrysler are not happy about the uh, the tariffs on this uh, the steel and aluminum as well. Uh, it's hurting these large American companies. And the question is, why wouldn't he move right away? And it may well be because he thinks that, uh, that moving now is going to hurt those midterm elections that are coming up. And he wants the folks in Pennsylvania and in other parts of the Rust Belt that uh, used to build a lot of steel or manufacture a lot of steel have them think that that steel's coming home and and uh maybe it's not but maybe that's the reasoning I don't well, know
0: the other reason it might be that he just doesn't want Canada to be a transfer point for cheaper uh, aluminum and steel from China and you know the dumping that would happen as a consequence
1: but well, we have our own steel industry here right. which is quite viable actually uh and we produce products uh, my understanding that they can't produce in Pittsburgh in the US so i i don't get i'm with john i the only rationale i can think is he probably thinks he's gaining something with respect to the midterm contest and he, maybe he'll hopefully he'll move to re- withdraw the tariffs after if he doesn't it's a serious problem but politically speaking minister freeland said that she led everybody to believe up until as recently as about a week ago that these aluminum and steel tariffs would be coming off once the deal was done. Now, oh, no, no, that that that's a separate sidetrack issue. I mean, look, at I've been in politics. I understand trying to cover your behind. But the reality is, I guess, the government, to be charitable, got the best deal it thought it could get with whoever is occupying the White House currently south of the border. So let's take this as opposed to nothing because it isn't going to look very good politically if we get nothing. And quite frankly, it might destroy the the auto sector in Canada if we get nothing. So I think they scratched and clawed, but quite frankly, we didn't get a whole heck of a lot.
0: Well, you know, we day. opened up a bit of our market to uh, their dairy. Now it's 3.8%. And uh, yesterday, talking to somebody from the dairy industry in Canada, uh, he thinks supply management, obviously, defending it. Saying it's as much about standards and quality control and stable markets, do uh, you believe that, or do you think it's a strictly a protectionist price-fixing cartel, John?
2: Uh, it is a uh, price-fixing cartel <laughs> uh, that helps protect. I believe it's about forty thousand, uh, you know, family uh, dairy farmers. Uh, maintain their their smaller dairy farms. Uh, there's no question we pay too much for for uh, for dairy products in this country, uh, and the supply management system does it. Uh, it's been you know based on trying to win votes, largely in Quebec, uh, and some in Ontario, but largely in Quebec. Uh, but there's there's no doubt that. Um, uh, that has to change. It did change. And, uh, you know, thankfully Trudeau's government didn't uh, throw the auto industry under the bus to save uh, the uh, the dairy farmers.
0: All right. But the 3.8%, I mean, uh, it seems a small number relatively speaking, but do you see it as being a, a big give, a significant give? Or do you believe uh, Peggy, that it's about standards and quality control and Canada maintaining a certain uh, level, you know, with our dairy products that, you know, the Americans may uh, feel fit to compromise, you know, with additives in the food processing and uh, so on and so forth. How do you see it?
3: Well, the way I see it, yes, it's a quality issue because the Americans allow, for example, growth hormones that we don't allow in our dairy products. But let's face it, if, if there was no protection, we likely wouldn't have much of a dairy industry because the Americans quite easily can ramp up their production and supply our whole market. So the reason supply management was put in there was so that whether there's an abundance of supply or lack of abundance that we have secure access. And frankly, I think it works well. We have safe quality milk. We don't have to worry about contaminants in it. I think it served Canadians well. I don't think the changes that are made look to be overwhelming. We have to see the fine print, but right, it doesn't but you're saying seem it, like it's going to be It served
0: speech. Canadians well, but John's argument is the consumer is paying to protect these 40,000 or so elite farmers, and it's all based on politics. Ernie, how do you see it?
1: I think it's a little bit of each, but let's be clear. With respect to the entire agricultural sector, what the producer or the farmer actually receives is a very small portion of what you pay in the grocery store. So if you want to talk about who's costing Canadian consumers money, it sure as heck isn't the producer or the farmer. It's the retailer who's scooping the money and and and, and the distribution system. So, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for the agricultural sector. And I think, as, as Peggy said, it's probably been a little bit of both. It, it It's a bit protectionistic, but it's also setting standards and protecting standards for Canadian so. all right
0: I want to come back in a moment and talk about uh, standards to protect has to do with uh, working people on the margins and Doug Ford has decided he's going to repeal bill 148 he says it's an absolute job killer 60,000 people lost their jobs under bill 148 while well, he's getting some blowback from people like Peggy Nash and your friends <laughs> on the left you Peggy. bet well we'll see exactly uh what it is that uh, is uh at stake here and uh, whether Doug's on the right or the wrong track insofar as getting rid of Bill 148 brought in by the Liberals, the so-called Fair Workplaces Better Jobs Act. We'll get to that with our roundtable, Ernie Eves, John Turley-Ewart and Peggy Nash in a moment here on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.